and we're back with another episode of Touching Base, the new weekly podcast series from Jen. I'm Corinna Singleman, Managing Editor of Jen, and this week included Rare Disease Day on February 28th. So we thought that we'd focus some of today's discussion covering some of the great stories about disease therapies. I'm joined today by Uduak Thomas, Jonathan Grinstein, and Juliana Lemur. I'd like to start today's conversation with Jonathan. You recently spoke with Kyle Holen at Moderna about their work treating rare diseases. What really stood out to you in that conversation? Yeah, so this was a fun talk. Kyle is one of those people who's beaming the smile and loves his job. Um, And there's a lot of things that stood out. I have to say that, and I have to admit, I did not really realize Moderna's history as being launched as a rare disease company. Um, So that was definitely something that hit me right off the bat. Um, So the company originally had been founded upon using mRNA therapeutics to treat rare diseases. Um, You know, and there's, there's certain scenarios in which gene editing or gene therapy is not necessary and, or, mRNA therapeutics may be an easier mode of of treatment. And that's what um, uh, Moderna set out to do. But yeah, when COVID hit, um, as Kyle said, they 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 got kind of preoccupied with something else. Um, and now, as we know, Moderna is a household name, um, both in scientific families and those without any scientists in their family. I think it's, you know, pretty common knowledge that they're a player in this game. Um, so that's, that was just kind of the first thing up front, um, which is, it's just great to see that such a major company with such a big reputation is, is working in this space of rare diseases. Um, I suppose another thing that really stood out to me, um, was that, well, they have several clinical trials already, uh, going on with three different rare diseases. Um, two of them are rare metabolic disorders. Um, they're also working with Vertex on developing um, a treatment for cystic fibrosis. So it um, seems like they've got a lot going on. They're really trying to prove their proof of concept in their initial clinical trials. Most Mostly right now, they're looking at safety, but they don't have a lot of um, effectiveness data. The last thing I'll say that really stood out to me is that Kyle had these amazing stories. Um, one of them was about an anecdote with a child with propionic acidemia. Um, and this this rare disease requires a very strict diet. And what he was uh, told from an exit interview was that when they were on the study, um, the child who was treated was able to eat on a normal diet and was able to join her family's family in, in eating their Christmas meal for the first time ever. So how it brings the family together and brings people's lives uh, back together is just astounding what these therapies can do. So it was a just a, a wonderful talk and great to see that Moderna is working in this space. That's really awesome and actually pretty fascinating. I didn't know much about Moderna um, at all before COVID, but I find that really interesting that not only do they use this sort of basic mRNA technology for making these COVID vaccines, but also to be used with treating rare diseases. Um, That sounds like it was a really great conversation. Yeah, I mean, uh, one other thing to kind of throw in there is that Moderna 
Uh, I mean, Kyle was telling me about they have this division of people who like eat, breathe, sleep, and dream in lipid nanoparticles, <laughs> which, you know, were used um, as the vehicle for mRNA therapeutics and the vaccine, uh, the COVID vaccine. And um, with that being said, the, the, the three uh, rare diseases that they're working on all can be targeted or, or all target hepatocytes um, in the liver, which is where their LMPs seem to have a propensity to land. Um, but they are looking to improve their LMPs and in particular with their cystic fibrosis collaboration with Vertex, they've developed an inhalable uh, LMP, which took a lot of work um, to figure out. Um, I was joking with Kyle about how it wasn't so simple as just sticking their LMPs into an inhaler or like some sort of nasal spray or something. You know, it took quite a bit of work to really figure that out. So they're trying to push the envelope uh, in terms of delivery as well. Jonathan, your story, how you were starting to talk about how Moderna started out as a rare disease company, remind, and then talking about COVID, of course, reminds me of... So, okay, this, this story is going to kind of almost flip that on its head. <laughs> so when I was at the bioprocessing summit last summer in Boston, I heard a talk by um, a woman, Rachel Salzman, um, and she's been in the gene therapy space for a long time. She's at Armatus Bio now. She told a story, a long story, compelling story about her nephew who was diagnosed with ALD, which you may know is the um, disease that's highlighted in the movie Lorenzo's Oil, if you remember that movie. Um, and it was a long story about how the, there it was a gene therapy and how it met lots of different roadblocks, both in Europe and also in the States, and then was picked up by Bluebird Bio. But the reason why I'm bringing this up is because the point of her story, not just to tell this amazing story, was to say that in gene therapy, and I would add the rare disease space, urgency is needed. And her then point of saying what can be done when urgency is applied to disease and drug development was COVID. And she said, you know, look at what, how quickly things moved with COVID. And so her point was really that the impossible is possible if urgency is applied and that we can do so many different things um, with urgency. So when you were saying, when you were talking about Moderna and what they did with COVID and others, of course, um, and how they started out in rare disease, I thought she had kind of almost flipped that whole example on its head, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that there's, a, I mean, not to kind of change technologies or anything like that, but, you know, CRISPR has been incredibly promising so far, and uh, it seems to be a really great tool for treating rare diseases where, you know, you may have some um, just edits to be made in the sequence. And I mean, you know, these are very tractable diseases. We know what genes they're in. We know we're, we know a lot of the mutations and whatnot. But, you know, getting people to invest in something as sophisticated, even as a, you know, a, a CRISPR therapy for all these, I guess there's like 7,000 different rare diseases um, is going to be an uphill battle. And there's definitely some people like Fyodor Ornov and the um, IGI are, are trying to 
work on this. I'm I'm pretty sure that they they have a collaboration now with Danaher to try to um, focus a lot of efforts there. So you know the rare disease space is one of those spaces where maybe it's not so rare <laughs> in aggregate. So if you put like you know all the seven thousand uh, rare diseases together and um, you, you you have you have thirty some million people in the U.S. alone that have rare diseases. So there, there's a lot of work to be done in this space. That's for sure. Yeah, you know, and I'm I'm really glad actually that we're talking about this today, and also talking about um, patients um, because actually that's another thing that Dr. Saltzman said in her talk was um, she had been at the summit for a day, and she said, you know, I haven't seen a single photo of a patient here yet today. And so she was talking about, you know, bringing this urgency into bioprocessing. Um, and one company that I have visited multiple times here in New York city is called Ovid therapeutics. And they are working specifically, um, in designing small molecule medicines for people, um, children with epilepsy and other neurological disorders that present with brain conditions. And they, they really are a company where, patients are at the center. I mean, both just when you go to the office, the rooms are named after patients. Um, I've been to two different events at the company, like, um, you know, just kind of presenting what, how their work is going and updates on their research. And there's, there's always patients there. Um, so, you know, I think that, I mean, we all, we know, right. When we go to companies and they say patients are first, but it's like, they are really walking the walk here. So I think that I'm really glad that that's also like a center of our conversation today as Rare Disease Day is happening this week. I was just taking a quick look at, at Ovid right now. And it's, as you said, they are walking the walk. It looks like they have uh, two phase three trials already. It's getting there. So kudos to them. Well, and I mean, I should mention that Ovid was started by Jeremy Levin, who, if you don't know, is like a veteran slash pioneer of the biotech industry worked at, you know, Bristol Myers Squid, Novartis and others. And so, um, so, you know, yeah. And, and really has a true passion. This goes back to what I was saying before, like a true passion for drug discovery to help people. And, you know, and again, that's like in every aspect of, of their company. And also at Jen, we published um, an article this week focused on autoimmune diseases, um, and the rare disease space with autoimmunity. Um, Udwark, did you read that article? I certainly did. We did have an article this, uh, this week, uh, in sort of in honor of rare disease day, looking specifically at the subset of rare diseases, um, that are autoimmune related. Um, it was covered by our colleague, uh, Kathy Lyshevsky. She wrote a really great article looking at some of the efforts and some of the strategies that different companies are, are adopting to target these uh, rare diseases. Um, Juliana, you mentioned small molecules that uh, Ovid Therapeutics was using. There's quite a range of options uh, on the market today that are being developed. So for example, there is a company that is developing therapies that target something called amino acyl tRNA synthetases, excuse me. Um, and these are enzymes that of course catalyze uh, the attachment of amino acids to tRNAs. 
um, as part of protein synthesis. Um, so some of these are involved in how cells respond to disease states. And so this company uh, aptly named ATYR -A um, is hoping to target those uh, tRNA domains and pathways to try to develop some drugs for, for rare diseases. Um, they have one particular drug that they're working on, which is for interstitial lung diseases. So things like pulmonary sarcoidosis and systemic sclerosis related um, ILD, interstitial lung disease. And so that's one option that's uh, currently in clinical trials at this point. Um, and I should also say that some of these are smaller companies, but they're also larger companies as well. For example, GSK um, is also interested in treating uh, systemic sclerosis-related ILD. Um, in this case, they're using a monoclonal antibody uh, instead, and that targets um, a particular ligand that is involved in B cell uh, differentiation and selection. Um, they are using a particular drug, a particular antibody called uh, belinumab. Um, it's actually already approved to treat lupus, but so this would be an, uh, a way for them to expand uh, the uses of this particular drug. And that was something that struck me uh, in, in Kathy's story. In some cases, you have companies developing new, entirely new therapies. In other cases, um, you have companies that are doing uh, some sort of drug repurposing. So they already have an approved drug and they're trying to get it used for a different uh, rare disease. So it'll be interesting to see how how some of these, these companies, uh, uh, how far some of these companies get. I certainly encourage people, I only give a subset of the the, the companies and uh, diseases being that are covered in this article. So I certainly encourage people to check out that article and get the full picture of, of uh, what's going on, uh, some of the things that are going on in the rare disease space. Thank you so much, Urak, for that um, commentary about the rare diseases. I think we're going to take a short break and jump right back onto our conversation. This episode of Touching Base is brought to you by Gem Biotechnology, the marquee peer-reviewed journal from the publishers of Genetic Engineering and Biotechnology News. Launched two years ago, Gem Biotechnology publishes exceptional research, reviews, opinion, and analysis across the biotech spectrum, from genomics and symbio to AI and drug development. The journal features an outstanding editorial team, which is led by Chief Editor Hannah Al-Samad. Senior VP at Altos Labs in California. Gem Biotechnology has already published exciting original research on gene editing to boost vitamin D tomatoes, CRISPR-based pest control, base editing delivery in a single AAV vector, and cost-effective 3D printing. Plus, Gem Biotechnology has featured exclusive interviews with biotech CEOs, insights from Wall Street financial analysts, and news features from Gem reporters covering the state of aging research AI and protein design, and advances in organ-on chips. Gem Biotechnology is the new choice for novel and groundbreaking advances in the biotech field. Learn more at www.gembiotechjournal.com. Great. Well, welcome back. And so now I think it would be a really great time to start uh, talking a little bit about some of the news from this week. Has anybody read or found anything really interesting that they would like to share? Yeah, thanks, Corinna. Um, I worked on a story this week um, where I got to talk to a company called Form Bio. So they're relatively new. They started in July um, 2022. And actually, they're a spin out of Colossal Biosciences, which is a company, um, George Church founded company that's um, 
working on resurrection genomics, you may know, you know, they're bringing back the woolly mammoth and certain mammals and other animals. Um, but so basically they were building some tools at, at, sorry, at Colossal. And then Kent Wakeford, who was a founder at Colossal, was thinking, well, these tools are actually as applicable, if not more applicable to human health. So he um, took about 30 employees from Colossal and they started Form Bio. And I mean, the two companies are like sister companies. So they're using this AI tools and an AI machine learning models, bioinformatics, to essentially um, help biotech companies that have a potential gene therapy, cell therapy drug to make that drug kind of jump through the hurdles in AI before they get to, you know, development. So using their model, they can look at things like um, the genetic payload, for example, how many capsids are full. Um, these are all huge hurdles in gene therapy, um, immunogenicity of the capsids and other um, problems going on in gene therapy. So, um, so I got to talk to them and learned, um, I mean, they have a team out of David Baker's lab at the University of Washington. So, you know, I'm a strong AI team. And again, it's early days. Um, they didn't have any data to share quite yet with us, but um, kind of interesting what they're, what they're doing to use AI to tackle um, some gene therapy problems. And actually, Jonathan, I really wanted to ask you about this because I know that you love both AI and gene delivery um, mechanisms. So what do you think? Yeah, I've been meaning to talk to FormBio for some time. So it's uh, cool that you're looking into this. I have to say, um, the thing that stands out to me the most, actually, is that I... <laughs> I've spoken to two other George Church labs that work in the same space. <laughs> um, there's a there's a company called Dino Therapeutics, and their their motto is literally um, transforming the gene therapy landscape with AI powered AAV vectors. So <laughs> it's like I don't know, kind of survival of the fittest maybe happening amongst uh, George Church um, graduates. Wait, actually, can I jump in because I actually also thought that they were kind of like Dino. But he, there's a difference, actually. And so I think it's this is a good place to point that out. Um, form is they're not doing what I know what Dino is like using AI to make new capsids. Form is actually working more on the genetic payload. Mm. So, you know, film what the DNA or potentially, I guess, RNA, if it's being delivered, that's inside. But what they're doing is using AI to say in that genetic payload, um, you know, so they're looking at like, um, what, for example, could make genomes more truncated or like CPG content, G CPG islands. Um, so actually looking at the DNA and the, the, the RNA. Um, so, so actually they could almost, to your point, like I maybe work with Dinah, <laughs> sure. but they are doing a little bit of a different thing, but still AI, AI powered improvements in gene therapy for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you bring out something really important, which is like, um, you know, there are changes that need to be made between, uh, the vectors, whether it's AAV or lentiviral in order to optimize for, um, the payload. It's, you know, it's very specific to whether you're working with nucleotides, double stranded, single stranded, you know, uh, 
proteins and whatnot. So there's, you know, every kind of uh, bit of cargo can, you know, can and maybe should be optimized for delivery, um, you know, just to give all this stuff a better chance of having therapeutic impact or whatever it is. I guess maybe it's to make woolly mammoths. <laughs> What about the Ginkgo partnership that just came up recently? Um, what do they bring to the table? Oh, yeah. Thanks so much, Corinna, for mentioning that, because that's actually the news of this week with FormBio. So I didn't even mention that. But yeah, so the so FormBio, I'm even writing about FormBio because they announced a partnership with Ginkgo. So that's kind of interesting because it, I how I think about it is it's kind of bringing what they're doing from the computer out into the world. Um, so, you know, they can help biotech companies design their um, design their gene therapies. And then Ginkgo, which has a biofoundry, can actually grow those those drugs, you know, those um, different with the different payloads and the different capsids and try them all um, and kind of, I guess, optimize it from that point. It should be noted, Ginkgo does not make drugs, right? So you would still need to take that and go to a CMO for manu sorry, CDMO for manu biomanufacturing, bioprocessing, um, and purification. So I'm, I'm not suggesting that, you know, you can go totally soup to nuts at Ginkgo, but they can at least kind of, um, bring it into the physical realm of growing up the, the drugs. Um, yeah. I was wondering, can I jump in and ask a question? Did they give any indication at this time of what kinds of diseases they might want to target? The, the drugs will come from the companies working on them. So actually, I think they could probably target anything that a biotech company brings to them. It's really just, um, I mean, if it's a, you know, gene therapy, but so I don't think that they have specific disease targets, but um, yeah, but we'll learn more soon. Do we have any other really interesting news that came up this week? I'm actually going to take us away from the world of AAVs for a second and move us into cancer immunotherapies. Um, so this is still very early stage. I want to preface uh, by saying that, but there's some interesting research coming out of uh, MIT, uh, Dana-Farber, and a couple of other places focusing specifically on um, colorectal cancer. Um, so the paper is coming out in Nature this week. The paper, excuse me. The paper is out in Nature this week. And essentially what the researchers did was they found that early stage colorectal cancer cells have a way of evading the immune system. And they do this by recruiting a gene called SOX17. So basically what ends up happening is these cells turn this gene on and it allows them to sort of dodge the immune system, which typically would be able to attack and destroy these cancer cells while they're still sort of in the precancerous phase. And that allows the cells to go on to become fully fledged uh, tumors um, and also to metastasize throughout the system. Um, so to understand the mechanism, I'll give a very general overview. The researchers essentially grew these mini colon tumors uh, and then implanted them in mice. 
Um, they engineered them to express some of the generally known cancer-linked genes, so things like KRAS, P53, and so on. And they observed that in the mice, there, these cells also had a, an increase in SOX17 expression. Um, SOX17 typically is active during um, embryonic development, um, and so it shouldn't be active essentially in these cells in that way. Um, and because it was active, the, the cells uh, didn't synthesize, well, they didn't do a couple of things. So one, they didn't synthesize um, a receptor that normally responds to um, interferon gamma, uh, which is one of the ways that the immune system is able to combat cancer cells. Um, it also ensured that the cells were able to stop the production of um, major histocompatibility proteins, which would obviously put up the cancer antigens so that the immune system knows to fight them. Um, and it also stopped production of chemokines, um, which uh, are helpful for getting the T cells in the immune system to come and attack uh, the precancer cells. Um, and so once they identified this increase in SOX17, they then used these organoids, colon tumor organoids, to see what happens when they knocked out SOX17. And again, went into the mice, and they saw that once SOX17 was uh, turned off, uh, the immune system was better able to attack the tumors. Um, as I said, this is very early stage research, but there is a possibility that um, if there could be a way to somehow block the activity of SOX17 with some sort of therapy, um, scientists could be able to stop precancerous uh, pre cells from going on to become uh, fully fledged tumors. So it's an interesting paper. It's out in nature, and I encourage folks to check it out. With that, thank you, all three of our speakers, Jonathan. Juliana and Uduak for joining us today. And thank you listeners for tuning into this discussion. Uh, again, I'm Corinna Singleman. Please join us next week for more news coverage and interesting conversation from the Gen team. Mm -hmm.